0: Great. Well, I'm excited for our second presentation here tonight. Um, It's entitled, The Bible's Longest and Most Amazing Prophecy. And uh, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer as we jump into it. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us understanding now as we open up the pages of the Bible. Lord, as we look at this prophecy in Daniel, we pray that you would give us understanding and that you would help us to see how important this is and how it's applicable to our lives today. It's our prayer, and we ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. (coughs) Amen. Amen. Last night, we saw the signs of the coming of Jesus, the signs indicating that his return is near. We looked at Matthew chapter 24 that shows us that Christ's coming is near. We also looked at this verse here in Revelation 22 verse 12. There Jesus says and behold I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now if Jesus is coming back with his reward then he has to determine who gets that reward before he comes back. This process is known as the judgment. The judgment is seen, judgment is seen all throughout the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Acts chapter 17, verse 31 tells us that God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. Notice that the judgment is in the future tense. It says he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him, that is Jesus, from the dead. Solomon then sums up the entire book of Ecclesiastes in two verses in chapter 12 verse 13. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. I like how the King James says it. It says, this is the whole duty of man. And in verse 14, it says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So these verses clearly tell us that there will be a judgment that takes place. Judgment is seen all throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned, and God came down to see what had taken place, and the penalty was declared. And before God sent a worldwide flood to the earth, God came down to see what was taking place. And based on the evidence, God decided what would happen next. Judgment, a worldwide flood. At the Tower of Babel, God came down to investigate what was taking place there. And he decreed what would happen as a consequence. God came down to earth and saw what was happening at Sodom and Gomorrah and passed judgment on those wicked cities. And while exiled on the island of Patmos, John saw in a vision that, the end of, that at the end of time there would be a worldwide message of judgment. It's found in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, which says, Then I, John, saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people." Now an angel in the book of Revelation is symbolic of a messenger. Notice that this angel flies in the midst of heaven up where he can be seen and he speaks with a loud voice showing that this is a message that God wants everyone to hear in these last days. The angel has the everlasting gospel, the good news of salvation. It is made available to everyone by grace alone through faith alone in Christ Alone, but the message is also a message of judgments notice what it says here in Revelation chapter 14 verse 7 the angel continues saying with a loud voice fear God and give glory to him now what does it mean to fear God well to fear God is to obey God to reverence him to honor him with your thoughts and with your actions It's to be in awe of God. We can glorify God with how we live our lives. The verse continues, it says, "'Fear God and give glory to him, "'for the hour of his judgment has come.'" Now this hour of judgment refers to the final period of time before the return of Jesus. The hour is not a single moment or a literal hour of time. And according to scripture, the hour of his judgment precedes the hour to reap, which is found later in Revelation chapter 14, verse 15. The hour to reap is the time in which the harvest is brought in at the second coming of Jesus. Thus, the judgment hour of Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, must precede the hour to reap found later on in the same chapter in verse 15. Because the reaping occurs at the second coming of Jesus. Clearly this message of judgment is also a message of mercy. It's a message to help the world get right with God before his coming. Not only does the book of Revelation speak about judgment, but the book of Daniel does as well. These two books are very important to understand if, if you can understand daniel you, you need to understand both really to have a complete picture of what these two books are talking about in fact in the book of daniel god tells us where and when the final judgment would begin in the seventh chapter of daniel daniel describes a vision that god gave him daniel chapter 7 verse 9 and 10 says i i daniel watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a firing flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. So who are these ten thousand times ten thousand beings? I would say that they are angels because I believe this judgment is taking place in heaven. It takes place before the throne of God. Here we see judgment language as well. It says the court was seated and the books were opened. What book, you ask? Well, it would be the book of life. You find it all over the book of Revelation. Clearly, there will be a judgment according to the Bible. And it will happen before Christ comes. Uh, Because when he comes, he's giving out his rewards. So he will determine who gets those rewards when he comes, uh, before he comes, rather. And before all of that, before he comes, Christ will say to the onlooking universe, look at my fairness, look at my goodness. The books are open for you to see. He will say, I sent my Holy Spirit to that man's mind. I impressed that woman. I wrapped my arms of love around them. I tried to save them. I did everything that I possibly could. Could I have done anything more? Then the entire universe will acknowledge that God did everything that he could to save each person on this planet. You see, friends, the judgment is not for God to find out who saved or who's lost, because God already knows that, doesn't he? But the judgment is to reveal God's character of love to the whole universe, so that in all of eternity, we will never have a doubt to the character of God. One thing is obvious when you read these passages, and that is this. God's judgment is incredibly fair. Because here, the record books are open before the entire universe. Here, each case is reviewed we saw in our first presentation here tonight that lucifer led out in a rebellion against god in heaven he and his angels were ultimately kicked out and we saw that god, that satan challenged the authority and government of god he said that god is unfair he said that god is an unjust judge and that rebellion in heaven introduced a question to the whole universe a question about god's fairness a question about god's integrity and a question about god's character but friends, God is so fair and he's so just that he opens up the records for each per- uh, of each person before the onlooking universe so that all can see that anyone who is lost is lost because of their own choices. No one is lost because God made an arbitrary choice to save some and to destroy others. Then, all, then those who are saved will understand during the millennium in heaven why some were saved and why some were lost. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we cover um, the topic of the millennium. We saw earlier tonight that the major theme of the book of Revelation is a conflict between Christ and Satan, a battle between good and evil. And in this conflict between Christ and Satan, the judgment reveals the truth, and Satan will be exposed as a liar Because God reveals in the judgment that he has done everything he can to save and that Satan has done everything he can to destroy. Anyone who is lost is not lost because God pointed the finger at them and said, you're lost. They're lost because of their own decisions and their own choices. They're lost because they rejected God's grace. If we don't see a loved one in heaven, we would want to know why, wouldn't we? And since God is so fair, we can look at his record books during the millennium in heaven, which tells us the reasons why some are there and why some are not. There we will get all of our questions answered. But some of you may be wondering, when does this pre-Advent judgment take place? That is the judgment before the coming of Christ. Well, we, mu- we know that it has to happen before he comes because he's bringing his reward with him, the scripture says. But what does the book of Daniel say about this? Well, Daniel chapter 7 doesn't tell us when it begins or when it ends, but Daniel chapter 8 verse 14 does. Daniel 8, 14 says, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. So what does it mean when it says that the sanctuary will be cleansed? This is kind of foreign language for us here in the 21st century. So let's dig into this tonight in the bible you read about two sanctuaries there is a sanctuary on earth and there is there there was a sanctuary on earth and there is one in heaven the earthly sanctuary was a portable sanctuary that god's people took with them throughout their wilderness wanderings later it was replaced by the temple and the earthly temple was designed by god to teach his people about the plan of salvation There were sacrifices, there were feasts, and there were priests, and there was a high priest who wore beautiful garments. All these things were deeply symbolic and very meaningful. The earthly sanctuary and its services were given by God so that his people could learn how God deals with sin and how he saves people for eternity. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, God said to Moses, "...and let them make me a sanctuary... That I may dwell among them. Friends, this is a beautiful text. This shows that God wanted to be with his people. He wanted to dwell among them, the scripture says. And in the very next verse, God says, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so shall you make it. So the earthly sanctuary was actually built according to certain plans that God gave to Moses to follow so the sanctuary was very significant the jewish way of life was built around the sanctuary service the sanctuary was surrounded by an outer wall as you can see there on the screen and it comprised two rooms there was the holy place which is right here and then there was the most holy place outside of the two rooms we also have the altar of sacrifice there with arrows pointing and then we have the laver where the priests would wash themselves to be pure before they entered into the holy place. Inside the holy place, there was a table of showbread, which taught the truth that Jesus is the bread of life. Then there was a seven branched candlestick, which represented Jesus as the light of the world. In front, as they went in, there was also an altar of incense. The incense that ascended towards God represented our prayers ascending to God mixed with the fragrant incense of the righteousness of christ the second compartment was the most holy place and it contained the ark of the covenant inside the ark of the covenant was the law of god known as the ten commandments or the ten words on top of the ten commandments was the mercy seat and friends i'm so glad that law and mercy go together Because if it was all law, we would all be hopeless. But thank God there is mercy. Amen? Not that we should be presumptuous, though. But where we stumble and fall, God offers mercy. And we praise God for that. Now the priest ministered in the holy place every day of the year. But the high priest went into the most holy place only once a year. And that was on a special day called the Day of Atonement. That was the day that the sanctuary was to be cleansed. And the cleansing of the sanctuary was a judgment day for the people of God. The Day of Atonement was the day that the sins of the people were blotted out. They were, it was wiped out. And throughout the year, the sinners, they would take their sacrifices. Often, it was a lamb, and they would bring it to the sanctuary. And the sinner would confess his, his, or his sins over the lamb, and the lamb would be killed, and its throat would be cut, and the blood would flow. God wanted them to know that sin brings death. I know this sounds really strange to us here in the 21st century because we don't go to church and, and slit a lamb's throat and, and offer blood sacrifices and animal sacrifices. That's very foreign to us, but this is what God wanted to show his people, that sin, the wages of sin is death. And this all was pointing forward to the sacrifice that Christ would make for us as the Lamb of God. So here we see that they would come and they would confess their sins upon the lamb, and uh, the sin was symbolically then transferred from the sinner to the lamb, and the priest would then take some of that sin-laden blood and he would sprinkle it on the veil in the in the most holy place, or in the holy place, and the um, yeah he would he would sprinkle it in the holy place, and that happened daily, that happened daily every day of the year. In that way, the sin was transferred. Into the sanctuary and sinners were no longer under the condemnation for their sins but the sin was on record in the sanctuary until the Day of Atonement which which happened only one day a year on the Day of Atonement there was a special service in which even the record of sin was blotted out and the truly repentant had their record of sin blotted out on that day so on the Day of Atonement repentant sinners were at one with God while those who were not repentant were cut off and they were evicted from the, from the congregation or from the camp of the Israelites. One Jewish scholar described Judgment Day as a crisis of confession and repentance. It was serious business for the Israelites. They wanted to know if they were right with God or not. So when Daniel wrote, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed, every Hebrew would know what Daniel is writing about. They knew that judgment day was coming one day. The book of Hebrews also talks about the sanctuary and describes what the priests and high priests were to do. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always, or every day, they went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services, that is the holy place. But into the second part of the high priest went alone. How many times a year? Once Once a year. That was on the day of atonement. Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. That was the earthly sanctuary service. So that's what happened. uh, That's what happened in the earthly sanctuary service. So what about the heavenly sanctuary? What is Jesus doing for us right now? Well, the Bible says that Jesus is our heavenly high priest. He ministers not in an earthly temple, uh, but in a temple in heaven. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 says, For Christ has not entered the holy places, that is, the sanctuary, made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into where? Heaven, heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for who? For us. Those words, for us are very important, friends. He is there for you, and he's there for me. And that's good news, amen? amen? That's very important for us to remember. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 also helps us understand more about what Jesus is doing for us. It says, "...seeing then we have, that we have such a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession." Verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, that is good news, isn't it? We can come boldly to the throne of grace at any time of the day and obtain mercy and grace. That is good news. Praise the Lord, friends. We can pray to God wherever we're at. If, if we're driving on the road, we can pray to God. We can we can intercede for our loved ones we can pray for um for god to pour out his blessings upon us for his protection uh when you're in your closet at home or in your room wherever you are you can pray to the god of heaven and he hears and answers prayers amen he's still a god that works miracles friends you can have confidence because you have a high priest in heaven and just as there was a sanctuary on earth there is a sanctuary in heaven and just as the earthly sanctuary was cleansed the heavenly sanctuary will also be cleansed the judgment simply reveals what you have done with your opportunity to choose jesus the judgment shows whether those who have called themselves true christians really are or not the judgment acts a lot like in audits so when would this judgment or cleansing of the sanctuary take place well let's look again at daniel chapter 8 verse 14. The Bible says, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. So what is the meaning of these 2,300 days? Well, it's a good question, isn't it? Daniel didn't understand either. So don't don't feel bad if you don't understand. Daniel didn't understand. And so he uh, actually, God sent Gabriel down to help explain this prophecy to Daniel. And he said this, Uh, The Bible says, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to when? The time of the end. end. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and stood me uprights. And he said, Look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation, for at the appointed time the end shall be. Verse 26, And the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true. Therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. So from this, we can infer three things about the vision that Gabriel, uh, from Gabriel and the context of this passage. First, the vision speaks of about the time of the end or the end of time. Secondly, it's talking about a heavenly sanctuary where God's throne is set. And thirdly, the 2300 days refer to many days in the future, and it happens at the time of the end. Therefore, this Time period is not a literal time period but it is a symbolic time period. What do I mean by this? Well the prophecy foretold a period of time of 2300 days. So if these 2300 days are literal then that's only about six years. So they can't be six literal years from Daniel's day which was around 550 BC because 2300 literal days or six years doesn't take us down to the time of the end. It would take us to 544 B.C., which is definitely not the time of the end. Ezekiel was another prophet who was also a contemporary of Daniel. That is, he lived at the same time as Daniel, and he gives us a key on how to interpret prophetic days. God told Ezekiel in Ezekiel 4.6, Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have laid on you a day for each year. So in Bible prophecy, a day represents a year. Now that's not every time you read the word day in the Bible. It's just when you read the word day in Bible prophecy. When you normally read a day in the Bible, it's just referring to a literal 24-hour time period. But we recognize that, that Bible prophecy definitely uses symbols to represent things. For example, if you're studying the books of Daniel and Revelation, and you read about beasts coming up out of the sea, are those literal beasts? Or would they be symbolic? Symbolic. They would be symbolic. They represent kings or kingdoms. Another example of this day for a year principle is found in Numbers chapter 14, verse 34, which says, According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days. For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. So in this prophecy, Israel was told that it would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This was because of the spies that went into the promised land for 40 days and they came back with a negative and discouraging report. Thus, everyone but Caleb and Joshua died in the wilderness during those 40 years. So, in this instance, we see that 40 days represented 40 years, a day for each year. So, we've seen from these two examples that in Bible prophecy, one symbolic day equals one literal year. So, therefore, the 2300 days of Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, would represent 2,300 years. So, when would these 2,300 years actually begin? Well, If we can find that out, if the Bible gives us a starting point, then we could easily calculate the ending points. Then we would know exactly when this cleansing of the sanctuary happens and when the judgment would begin. So this prophecy of the book of Daniel is very significant, friends, because God ties this prophecy about Jesus' second coming with an incredible prophecy about his first coming. And amazingly, we can measure events that Daniel predicted That would happen along this 2300 year time period this prophecy that we're going to take a look at tonight uh, predicted the exact date of christ's baptism the exact date for christ's crucifixion and the exact date for the gospel to go to the gentiles as the jewish leaders rejected christianity and it even tells us the date that the judgment would begin Now Daniel didn't know when this 2300 year prophecy would begin and he was having difficulty understanding it and so he prayed. And friends if you are ever having a difficulty in understanding scripture I would encourage you to get down on your knees and to pray. Amen. Because God will answer that sincere prayer. He will give you wisdom to help you to understand. So we see that Daniel didn't understand and he got down on his knees and he prayed. And a chapter later in Daniel chapter 9 verse 23, an angel came and said this. He said, At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. The vision that the angel here is referring to in this verse is the one in chapter 8. Daniel hadn't understood the vision prior to this. And so the angel came in chapter 9 to explain it. Then the angel says this. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So the question is, is who were Daniel's people? It would be the Jews, right? It would be the Jews. And what was their holy city? Jerusalem. Not a lot has changed, right? In in the last couple thousand years, Jerusalem is still the Jews' holy city. So the first 70 weeks of this prophecy are determined for the Jews. And um, now we know that the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. And that Hebrew word that's translated determined literally means amputated or cut off. Cut off from what, you say? Well, it's cut off from the longer time period of the 2300 days. So the first 70 weeks apply especially to Daniel's people, the Jews. And so the angel says, 70 weeks are determined or cut off for your people, that is the Jews, and for your holy city, Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, friends, this clearly couldn't all happen in one year and four months or 70 literal weeks. Again, using our key of one symbolic day equaling one literal year, we can understand this prophecy in Daniel. So you have 70 weeks times seven days each week, which equals 490 days. If you don't like math, hang in here with me. We'll try and make it as simple as possible. And with one symbolic day equaling one literal year, the 70 weeks or 490 days would equal 490 years. So God was giving Israel 490 years to come to repentance. So the question is, is when did this 490 years begin and end? Well, the Bible tells us, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times." So, from the time of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there would be 69 weeks or 483 years. So, where do we find this decree in the Bible? Well, it's actually found in the book of Ezra, chapter 7. That's the decree that Artaxerxes gave when Artaxerxes told Nehemiah that he could go back and rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem. And so, when was the decree issued? It was issued in 457 B.C. That has been the date that has been nailed down in history. And we know this because the Persians were very meticulous at keeping records of things. And so from our starting point in 457 B.C. to Messiah the Prince, that would be 483 years. Those 483 years would bring us down to 27 A.D. Now keep in mind that the timeline of history goes from 1 BC to 1 AD with no year 0. So, let's do some Bible math here, okay? When we start in 457 BC, when the date when the decree was issued and we add 69 weeks or 483 years, we get to 27 AD. The Messiah should appear in the year AD 27. Now, the word Messiah actually means the anointed one. And when, and when was... Oh, did it die? Can you hear me? Okay, there we go. And when was Jesus anointed, friends? He, he was anointed at his baptism. And when was that? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Luke chapter 3 verse 1 says that it took place in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. That's when Jesus was baptized. Well, later in the same chapter, it says this, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So Jesus was baptized in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And historians pinpoint that year to 27 AD. So Jesus was baptized exactly right on time in accordance with the prophetic word of God. Is that good news? Amen. Amen. It gives me confidence, additional confidence that God's word can be trusted. In Mark chapter 1 Jesus is baptized and shortly after his baptism he says the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand. Now what time was he talking about? Well Jesus could have said the time prophecy has been fulfilled. But when Jesus was baptized he couldn't say I'm the Messiah or they probably would have killed him. They would have tried to kill him on the spot. It would have been damaging to his ministry indeed. Instead, he prodded them, saying the time is fulfilled. He was announcing himself as the Messiah, but he was doing it in a gentle way. Jesus was referring to the time prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, but that same prophecy predicted more of what would happen to the Messiah. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, the word of God says that after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus was cut off when he died on the cross for you and for me. Then verse 27 says, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. So Jesus would confirm the covenant with many for one week or seven years. But in the middle of that week, the Bible says that he would cause sacrifices to cease. How did Jesus cause sacrifices to cease? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, the sacrificial system came to an end. When Jesus died on the cross, the the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And you'll find that in Mark chapter 15, verse 38, if you want to jot that down. God was saying, no more sacrificial system, no more temple services, it's done. Now, there was, no, there was no more need for lambs to be brought to the temple. Why? Because the true Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, had come. So let's take a few moments to review this amazing time prophecy once again. I know it's a lot to cover, but let's go ahead and review it here. It says, So there was a decree that took place in 457 B.C. to restore and build Jerusalem. And after 69 weeks... The Messiah would be anointed, and that happened when Jesus was baptized in the fall of A.D. 27. Then he died on the cross for you and for me in the, middle of the, in the middle of the 70th week, and that took place in A.D. 31. The 70 weeks would then end in 34 A.D. So what happened at the end of 70 weeks, you ask? Well, remember that God gave Israel 490 years to come to repentance but as a nation they didn't repent yes individuals repented individuals accepted christ as the messiah but as a whole the nation rejected jesus as the messiah the bible makes that very clear in acts chapter 13 verse 46 here paul and barnabas mighty men of god were preaching and they said this they said it is it was necessary that the word of god should be spoken to you first That is, the Jews. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to who? The Gentiles. So the privileges of the gospel were extended first to Israel, but Israel as a nation did not fulfill its God-appointed role. After Stephen was stoned, the privileges of the gospel went to the entire world. And And we praise God for that. Amen? Because we are all probably Gentiles, I would imagine. Unless you have some Jewish heritage, uh, we are all Gentiles. This prophecy is amazing proof, friends, that Jesus is the Messiah. And the chances of all this just happening are far too remote. It's just not possible. This prophecy can give us additional confidence, friends, that God's holy word can be trusted. It's reliable. And that Jesus is the true Messiah. This whole prophecy is about Jesus from beginning to end. So that's why it's important for us to understand it. And friends, this prophecy was once misunderstood once before. You see, the first half of this prophecy, the 490 years, was designed to help get people ready for the first coming of Christ. Yet when Jesus came to this earth, the people rejected him, his own people. The second half of the prophecy is designed to help prepare a people for the second coming of Christ. But in earth's last days, people are going to get confused again. And they will be rejecting Jesus Christ and they will be embracing Antichrist. But friends, we don't want to get confused, do we? And the way to not be confused or deceived is to check out everything for yourself. So be like the New Testament Bereans, friends and study things out for yourselves. Amen? Don't believe something just because I said it, but go home and study it out for yourself. And the Bereans, if if you're wondering who the Bereans were there in the New Testament, they were a group of people that studied things out. Even the things that Paul had been preaching to them, they went home and they searched the scriptures for themselves. And that's what we want to be. Amen? We want to be like the Bereans and check these things out for ourselves. And as you check these things out, friends, you will see that we have a high priest in heaven, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You'll see that he is dispensing his grace, his mercy, his love, and his forgiveness. This prophecy points to Jesus, our Savior on earth and our Mediator in the heavenly sanctuary above. Now let's look at this prophecy again, and we'll see the rest of this 2300 year prophecy. So we start in 457 B.C. with the decree to restore and build Jerusalem. Add 490 years and you get to 34 A.D. Then the gospel begins to go to the Gentiles. Then there are still 1,810 years left and that brings us down to the year 1844. So for more than 170 years, we have been living in the time of heaven's final judgment. Jesus is now in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, ministering on our behalf. Friends, we cannot afford to be like the people of Christ's day who missed this prophecy. Notice the prophecy doesn't tell us when Jesus is coming back. That's not the purpose of this prophecy. But it does tell us that we're living in the time of heaven's final judgment and that we're living in the time of the end. So what will the judgment do? It will reveal the decisions that you have made for or against God. The judgment reveals whether your sins have been blotted out or whether you've clung to your sins and whether you've turned your back on Jesus. Today we can be ready to meet Jesus when he comes back because we have a Savior in heaven who's representing us in the judgment and friends that is great news isn't it there is nothing to fear when god when you're with god we can face the judgment with confidence with gladness because we have a high priest there in heaven for us yes you're a sinner but friends he's the savior amen The bible says where sin abounded grace did abound much more Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, Jesus is standing in heaven right now, interceding for you and for me. He'll represent you in the judgment if you choose him. And the good news, friends, is that he has never lost a case. As Jesus speaks to your heart tonight, be sure to let him know that you choose him to be your heavenly high priest, your friend, and your savior in the sanctuary above during heaven's final judgment. And then and only then can you face the judgment with confidence. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, for this amazing prophecy, Lord, that pinpoints so much of your life, of the life of your son, Jesus, Lord, his baptism, his death, and what you're doing, what he's doing for us right now in the heavenly sanctuary. And Lord, we are grateful that that Jesus is there right now ministering on our behalf for us. And Lord, we pray right now that, that uh, we would choose you, Lord, to be the one that represents us. Lord, may we may we choose you each and every day. Lord, the, the world wants to throw out so many distractions in front of us to get us sidetracked from what's most important in life. Lord, help us to keep our priorities straight in this new year. Lord, help us to put you first. Help us to cling to your word. Help us to be like the Bereans and check these things out for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would be near to us. Lord, that you would... That you would help us to live for you in this judgment hour in which we're living, Lord. It's a solemn time, but Lord, it's an exciting time because it means that we are near to your coming. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a light in this world. Lord, help us to reflect the light that you have given. Lord, help us to be a blessing to those that we come in contact with. And Lord, may we share you. With everyone that we come in contact with. Lord, bless each one and keep us in your care, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.